everybody. How are you? What have you been up to? Here we are in 2024. Welcome to Everything's Relative Podcast. I'm your host, Eve Sturgis. Remember how I said the podcast was on hiatus while we planned the epic road trip for season six? So that is still true, but we have an emergency in our community and we need to talk about it. There is a crisis in the adoption system and it affects all of us, no matter how or what you identify or if you've even had a DNA discovery at all, what your relationship is to adoption or relinquishment. When Moses contacted me, I knew immediately that we needed to spread the word and a call to action. You're going to hear all about it in a minute, but I just wanted to come on here first really quick for two reasons. The first is to say thank you for all your support in all of the ways during this off-season hiatus. I want you all to know that I am seeing, hearing, and feeling it. Thank you so much. The second point I want to make is very specific to the podcast today. I'm here to offer a content warning. Moses and I discuss very difficult subject matters, um, and some listeners may find details extremely disturbing. If you don't feel like that's something you can stomach, this may not be the episode for you. That doesn't mean you can't learn about it. So go ahead and visit the show notes for a synopsis and a plethora of links to the cases we discuss um, and the ways that you can take action and help change the adoption system. Uh, Okay, so here we go. This is Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis, a special call to action episode with Moses Farrow. Thank you for listening. Hello, friends. I'm Eve Sturgis. I am the host of Everything's Relative podcast. I like to talk to people about DNA discoveries. And if you have been listening to my podcast or talking with me in any forum, you know that we are learning a ton from the adoption community. Um, And they have really opened my eyes and my heart to a lot of the issues that adoptees specifically are, um, are, are, are facing. One person that I have connected with is Moses Farrow. He's here with me today. Moses Farrow was himself adopted from Korea and is a adoption trauma educator, an adoption activist, and also a licensed therapist here in California. And wanted to talk about something we're seeing in the news. And unless you're living under a rock, there's a lot of news going on right now. Um, but there has been one reoccurring theme that we that keeps popping up. Um, it's very disturbing. And we're here to talk about it today. And it is about um, children who, who are dying, children, adoptees, killed, murdered, neglected um, by their adopted families. Um, actually, I'm going to be totally honest and break, break, break interview character a little bit. It's actually hard for me to say out loud. Like as I was, as I was describing it right now, I, I got sort of, st- I sort of, my mouth got like sticky with the discomfort of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and to say the words died and killed just felt really that felt really hard. 
So, which is important. I think, I think it's important for me to note so that even my body knows that that's, there's something really wrong here. And, you know, adoptees are helping NPEs and DNA discoveries. And so, of course, as part of this community, I want to help adoptees and, and provide any platform that I can for discussion. So we're here to talk about it today. Got Moses Farrow. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Eve. Uh, like, really, thank you for having me on here. And as you just indicated, broaching a very challenging, very difficult, and very uh, tragic and horrifying topic. You know, uh, it's a real issue. And here we are talking about it. So thank you for responding. And, and thank you for having me on here. Absolutely. This is, I mean, how many have to happen before we say, like, what's going on here? Right. Like something. I think people would like to think that these are isolated incidents. Maybe, maybe that's what's going on, but, but, but they're not because you sent me multiple, multiple examples within a short amount of time, even that were happening since we started talking about this. Right. So it is ongoing. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit more about the cases that you're seeing and I, I think there's, we've already even touched on what is so alarming about this, but for you, what is, what are you seeing and, and what is that triggering for you as an adoptee and as an activist? This is where I'm at in, in my own adoption journey. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm recognizing that this has been a, uh, a long journey it's taken me years you know to really uh internalize a lot of these issues um you know speaking about the adoption trauma the layers of trauma uh for me it it was wanting to get to the truth of it all and the more people that i've connected with that have helped me open my my eyes I continued to go further with all all sides of the truth of what's going on within the adoption industry. So I came across these cases um, of children being adopted and then tortured to death by the people who had adopted them or in process of, of adopting them. And, and I, I had an immediate reaction of this is outrageous, you know, and, and you asked the question, you know, how many does it take? And it's like one case of abuse, one case of torture or cruel and unusual punishment or, you know, it takes one case to bring attention to it in, in other scenarios and other circumstances with other populations. Uh, this this is one aspect of the adopted experience that I found is not fully, I mean, adequately, uh, it's, just, it's not being addressed. It's not even being acknowledged by, by many within our adoption community, but also by the broader society. Uh, thing about it is, uh, you know, as you pointed out, since I've been looking more and more into these murder trials of people who adopt children. And as we know, there's not really any follow-up or, or uh, 
you know, post-adoption support or, or any, anything that would keep eyes on how, how are things going after the adoption has been finalized. So I, I'd say the cases that caught my attention are ones from 2015 onward. And, and I'm like, so these aren't like past cases. These aren't, you know, from, from previous generations. This is right. happening right now. Exactly. 2015, 2016, 2017, 2021, 20, I mean, every year, every year, every year. The conclusion that I've come to about these cases is, I'll, I'll, I'll put this in two parts. The first part is that on one hand, there is ex an extensive home study process where potential couples or individuals looking to adopt are put through an adoption vetting process and typically done by licensed or credentialed uh, attorneys or adoption agencies. Uh, it is one of the, the biggest complaints, in fact, of these couples and individuals who say it was very intrusive. It was very extensive. It was very comprehensive. Uh, huh, they uh, complain. They complain about that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, and, you know, so it, it's, it, it's understood that adoption is an option that adoption is a choice, that you're choosing these children to be adopted, that there's, um, uh, again, extensive intentionality with adopting children. Right. That's certainly the, that's certainly what we're, what's described to us or what I thought. That's how I thought it goes with every single child and family. Absolutely. Which and begs the question. <laughs> and, and I mean, along with that, you know, ask anybody what's a, what's one of the first things that come to mind when you bring up the word adoption, or you know, adopting children. Right? We we know that um, one of the biggest things about adopting children is, is the idea of you're saving them. Mm -hmm. You're saving them from you know, from an impoverished life, or or from parents who might be doing drugs or leading a life of crime or imprisoned or any other circumstance that would lead to certain death. You know, that, that I've certainly come across a number of people who come back whenever I bring, bring this stuff up, say, well, adoption is a good thing. Adoption, you know, is a wonderful thing because you're saving them. Otherwise, they would have died. Otherwise, they would have you know, ended up on the streets or, you know, not cared for, you know, every child deserves a family. So I'm, I'm, I'm laying out the context in this way that society understands adoption through that lens, that we're saving children, giving them families. And every year, you know, the, the president gives a proclamation for National Adoption Month saying, loving forever families. Loving forever homes. That's what adoption is, providing these children in need of families and homes. <laughs> that these are meant to be forever homes. That they're, that adoption is meant to save them. And as you pointed out, as, as, as we've established, 
it's not just one case of murder. It's not just one case of torture or abuse. It's multiple cases and not just every once in a while. And it's not just coming out of one country that adopted that children. I'm, I'm being careful with my words here that children, infants and children are being adopted into homes in which they are tortured to death. And th there have there's been at least two cases that I can think of off the top of my head now. One case was in South Korea. Uh, I, I refer to her as baby Jung-in. Uh, she was 16 months old. And from what I read, what I heard, the was pronounced dead, I, I, I believe it was in 2021, uh, October 2021. She, she was adopted domestically in South Korea. Uh, the investigation revealed 800 counts of abuse. How is that you know, even possible? I mean, you don't have to answer this. I'm asking it rhetorically, but that feels like an unfathomable number. 800 that's the number that comes to mind i i may be wrong because again I'm, I'm i'm working off off the top of my head um but i mean a lot you know, a lot <laughs> even a if lot. it's not 800 we'll we'll look into that but like a you know lot. how many how many is you no know, there's no number that's okay but it, you you mean a lot on now on on the state side there was another a case that that made at least national headlines, you know, maybe, maybe international headlines, but uh, her name is Arabella McCormick. And she was adopted by a minister, no less, who was in charge of what was considered to be a mega church. And I remember uh, this one. And Arabella was 11 years old. I have to say, I'm really thankful to the media, to the press, to the investigative reporters who stay on top of these cases, you know, as more information and evidence uh, comes up. Because at this point, there was a, a, a new recent article that uh, is looking into conspiracy to commit murder or perhaps a conspiracy to commit, I don't know, child endangerment or, or something along those lines. In any case, the point of the detail in there was 700 counts of abuse and, and, and torture towards Arabella. Uh, so uh, it's really, really difficult to wrap your head around, you know, just the, it, you can't call it abuse, you know, and, and a lot of these reporters are naming it torture, you know? Yeah, and I mean, it goes way beyond. I, I'm, I'm, I'm remembering another recent case that has gone to trial. Again, a, a young, a young girl. I wish I could remember her name. Um, but um, the the details that I remember it came from the medical examiner's report and, and the details that I, that, that I remember that there were, that the adoptive mother indicated, I'm sorry, officers, I just lost control. 
and then upon further examination of the body, the medical examiner shared that there were multiple wounds. Some had been healed, some in the process of healing, and some that were new. And we're talking about lacerations. We're talking about fractures. We're talking about um, uh, contusion all over the body, from from fingers to toes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, sorry, officer, I just lost control. Doesn't quite capture the full extent of what we were just saying, that these are extensive, extensive acts of torture. Um, right. Like, that's what's, that's part of the alarming nature of this is that all of these victims they're not it's not their experience with with the abuse or torture is not a single fatal but there's so much proof that it was going on and on and on and on yes yes so like you as we're talking about it <clears throat> um i i get really emotional i'm i'm getting really emotional i <clears throat> tearing up and I also get very outraged about it but yeah in in this moment you know as we're talking about I I just my my, my heart goes out to these lives you know and young children and infants and, you know in the short amount of time that they're that they're alive that that was their experience of being alive. It is hard to talk about, uh, and we probably should should have done a bit more of a disclaimer up front that you know we would be sharing some some graphic details and and that this is very very difficult to bring up and talk about you know these things and um, you know I I don't blame people for wanting to just tune out mm -hmm. or turn off at this point or you know maybe they have turned turned this off already uh, this is stuff that you don't want to hear right this is i mean and when it comes to adoption it, it's something you don't want to hear about adoption because because i understand what it's like to to go through life saying oh yeah adoption is a wonderful thing and you know it's beautiful and i know I know friends and, or, you know, uh, relatives or neighbors who have adopted and we've celebrated it and, you know, we've surrounded it with good feelings and how, how wonderful it is for these children to have loving forever homes. And, and, and then, you know, here you and I are coming on uh, your podcast saying, but wait, there's a whole other side to this that no one is shedding light on really, but it's happening. And thankfully there are reporters and investigator, investigative journalists who are shedding light on this, who have been for years. And unfortunately it hasn't really turned into an awareness in our society that, oh my gosh, we, we really need to be doing something about this. So, I'm understanding, you know, and, and certainly not blaming people for for getting caught up in that shock and awe of, 
I, you know, I had it all wrong for so long. You know, to, to own that for yourself is really hard. Mm -hmm. And thing you don't want to admit about yourself. So I'm understanding that for a conversation like you and I are having, it's hard to hear because you yourself had believed something different for so long. Absolutely. And I think, I think there's something we do. I don't know if it's an American thing or a Western culture thing, or I don't know where it comes from, but I think that we have this very fast inclination or impulse to think, oh, well, that was just that one very, very, very rare experience. That that was a, a very unfortunate thing, which which I think dismisses it because we're too afraid to acknowledge that there might be some big problems in the system. And is that where you think the problem is, is in the system? Because, because yes, these perpetrators are, are guilty. They, they are doing something very, very wrong, but how is it, how are the children getting there? I appreciate you bringing bringing it back into a, a context, you know, of of what I'm hearing you say. You, you know, this has to stop. You know, we we have to do something to prevent more children and infants from being killed. You know, in in the adoption industry, you know, when it comes to adoption, where there there is such an extensive vetting process. And there, there is this promise that you're being saved and put into a loving forever home. But we have, we do have to acknowledge that there are other layers to the adoptive experience and the adoption industry and how adoptions are done, you know, how, how, how adoption is, is, is processed. So, which involves many, many people. So looking at it through that context of, yeah, it, it is good that in some of these cases, as, as we know, when it comes to abuse uh, in the foster care system, for example, or in non-adopted homes or, or you know, just biological homes, um, abuse and, and mistreatment of children does happen very extensive, you know, very extensively, you know, is widespread. You're not able to to, to capture such a, a full picture of every single instance or every single case that that happens. Um, but I would say certainly for those who are caught and brought to justice, so to speak, uh, for me, I'm wanting to see prevent actions being taken so that these children and infants really are saved and you know and stay alive that they're that they're not being killed so we need to do something before all of that and this you know this would take up a whole other conversation to go you know into the details of it all but we do need a systemic change. We need a, 
a change on the individual level in terms of our attitudes towards adoption, towards these children who are being adopted, because we need to um, acknowledge that there is a certain aspect of the adoption process in which children and their parents, by the way, specifically, you know, their mothers are being commodified and dehumanized. On one hand, we, we like the idea of getting to rename children, but through another lens, and dare I say the lens of human trafficking, which I am out there bringing up alongside adoption, that renaming, re-identifying, withholding identifying information, uh, falsifying official documents, it, it's all within the definition of human trafficking. And and if that is taking it a little too far for for some people, the UN has a definition of illegal adoptions, which also lists falsifying documents, in which case falsifying birth documents or falsifying names and identifying information is considered to be illegal adoptions and further the crime of human trafficking. I, I just I just want to say that the name, the, the renaming of babies and children is something that I had not ever considered or, th- or thought about until I became a part of this community. And especially until I started and this is I don't mean this as a plug, but my writing group that I that I run throughout the year, so many adoptees have brought that to my attention through their writing about what it is to discover that you had a different name Mm -hmm. um, on a birth certificate after having to fight and fight and fight to find the birth certificate in the first place. Um, Mm -hmm. But, but I really have a, a new perspective on that practice and that concept and, and, and the falsification, changing of records, hiding of records, withholding. If, if you're a person listening and you haven't, considered these aspects, which are not the parts we talk about in adoption. They're the boring. They feel boring, maybe. Like paperwork is not as exciting as a forever home, right? That's the concept we like to think about. Um, And maybe names and birth certificates just seems like paperwork to the general public. But but wow, um, the the idea of changing changing the names of humans. I just I just invite everyone to really think about that. that that idea what and what it would be like as an adult or a young per, even a young person anyone to find out that that you had had a different name another name and what what that might mean uh, really really I, more prof- more profound than it than it maybe looks on paper right away eve i appreciate you bring the you bring uh attention to this uh, now i'm 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 speaking to you as someone who continues to learn you know, who has had to learn, who is learning, who is opening myself up to learning about all these connections yeah. and and seeing it through different lenses and, and understanding the underlying motivations and, shall we say, secrets and lies and hidden agendas, um, uh, which, uh, you know, is pretty common knowledge uh, in the you know, throughout the adoption of the community. So uh, commodification, it, you know, it, it, it is 
process of, of, of turning something into something that can be bought or sold. I want to expand on this just, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. please let's do it real quick here, Eve, because what I've learned from learning about human trafficking is that traffickers rename their victims. They give them nicknames. They might even give them a number. They might even give them a tattoo or something to indicate that they've been marked and targeted and, and that they have control over them. So this is why systemically, that's essentially what the states are doing with us is withholding our own information from us, controlling it, you know, preventing it or making it less accessible. So there, there, there's just such a parallel that, uh, that I've drawn from learning more about human trafficking. Now, I also want to point out, this is really the main point that I'm, I want to bring about this is the word adoptee itself is a label and i'm i go as far as saying is a branding that yeah. huh that is industry driven that's driven by the adoption industry you know it aligns us with adoption being adopted where so many of us are bringing up what i was relinquished or not just relinquished but i was stolen i was kidnapped i was forcibly separated i was removed from my homeland you know that that uh yet you know to simplify the whole experience let's let's put it under a label of i'm i am an, an adoptee uh and that has been accepted widely accepted and you know and normalized to the point you know um, all, all the millions of people who have been adopted really label themselves and essentially brand themselves, which is confusing to me when they're bringing up, but I was relinquished or I was stolen or, right. you know, and yet the language has been so carefully crafted that there is essentially no other label or word for us to use. Um, and since we like to consider ourselves survivors, it's hard for us to call ourselves victims. Right. But we are a victim of an industry. It is an industry. That's so important. And I think, I think what you're trying, I think what you were, what we were getting to when we first segued into talking about the name thing is we were talking about changing changing people's changing people's children babies names um is is one tiny symbolic step of commodifying a person and the commodify and and dehumanizing them and if they're commodified and dehumanized it's easier for for there to be huge gaps in the system and that that's where blind spots come in because we're thinking about an industry and we're thinking about commodities and what we're not thinking about is human babies. Uh, thank you for bringing it all the way back. And therefore the that's where the system has these huge problems that are, are both bureaucratic and also cultural and lingual. Right. 
Absolutely. Uh, Sociocultural, geopolitical, all, all layers of society. Again, thank you for bringing it all the way back to this is where we need systemic change. This is this is where we need to, starting with individual attitudes and, and the attitudes coming out of how we use language, how we use words, how we apply them, and the meanings that we assign those words and terms and, and language. <clears throat> so another known thing within the adoption community is the idea that children are blank slaves. Right. right? I mean... This is societal, and so that is, a, you know, another layer of uh, systemic change that we need to not see children as blank slates and objects that can be bought and sold, exchanged, rehomed, you know, returned, even, right? Uh, I, I can't imagine that anybody in my audience doesn't know that that happens, but I just want just want to say for just the, the very few people that may be listening that may think may be wondering what we're talking about. Rehoming and returning is absolutely something that happens within the the adoption system. Uh, and it's it, it, it's horrifying. It, it, it should horrify you. It, 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 it's common vernacular mm-hmm. in in adoption period. You know, so people are used to talking about rehoming their pets. Yeah. Yeah. Puppies. Okay. Okay. So so it is, you know, pretty a, a pretty common thing. Um, and, 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 and that is something that we, that we also struggle with again, societally, the fact that, uh, adopting children is, uh, often closely associated with adopting pets. Right. And, you know, and there are those in the adoption community who in a way, in some ways poke fun at, but in a way of highlighting that pets are treated even better than adopted children are. So going back to the main point of why we're talking today is all, all of this that makes up our value system and our attitudes on an individual basis leads to, well, these aren't even children. These right. aren't these aren't human lives. You know, the point here is that because of uh, attitude and, and value that we placed on adoption, I'd say it's even worse. It's heightened for these folks who say, oh, I'm told that, the, that this is my child now. I can re- rename them. I can, I can treat them however I want. I can raise them however I want. Um, and um, I think it um, makes infants and children who are adopted more vulnerable and susceptible to a more egregious acts of violence and, and torture more. Uh, and I'm going to say without, without any research that I know of, uh, more susceptible to acts of torture more so than non-adoptive families, non-adoptive uh, uh, homes. So it makes us even more vulnerable. Yeah. I hate, I hate, I hate to, 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 to think that you're right, but I suspect that you are. Um, so do you, have you noticed, and maybe this hasn't been a part of your research, but have you noticed with all, all of these, these children, these cases that we're talking about that brought us together today, are they, is there a pattern? Is there anything is, I'm sorry, I didn't land this question. Is there a pattern from one family to the next of loopholes or 
cracks in the system that they all were allowed to adopt children? Or were they all incredibly clever, evil people that passed these extensive vetting processes and then became bad people? Does that, does that make sense as a question? It, it certainly does. Like what and, happened? And I'll, I'll tell you, Eve, we need more people asking those questions and we need people to take on the investigations and research and look into more details of what happened. And here's why, because the investigative reports that do get published or do get released by, by the news and the media really focus primarily on the murder cases and the trials and, and what is brought, brought up during that court process. Um, I have found in a number of these cases, there is no further investigation beyond that, that who are these parents? How did they get to adopt in the first place? Do they have a history of violence and, you know, that was overlooked? You know, part of me, knowing what I know, I think that there, that there is a re there's a reason why these details are not being looked into. Uh, I I believe that I, I I believe I I think that there's 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 no research being done for good reason. So I would welcome your your listeners to start questioning and put on their critical thinking caps and and dare themselves to go further what we're bringing up because there are lives on the line and this isn't uh, stopping anytime soon because no one is really saying well we need to stop it we need to do something about this so um so the cases that that i have looked into go into that history okay so much but I will tell you this, that I have found it crosses all forms of adoption. International oh, that's in, adoption. Even that is interesting. International adoption, domestic adoption, open adoption, closed adoption, foster care adoption, transracial adoption, any which way, all forms of, all hmm. forms of adoption. Okay. So that's good to know. That's a starting point. And, and the ones that are coming to mind, there, there's at least one case in the UK, uh, his name was Leland James Corkill. He was a toddler and he was in process of being adopted. And he was trying to be murdered by the person who was in the process of, of adopting him. <clears throat> Another case in Canada of a 15-year-old, his name is Carrion Franks. Uh, the main method of, of murder was starving him to death that I... And again, I'm, I'm off the top of my head, less than 100 pounds. Right. So they don't even get the defense of having lost control. But but in many of these cases, if not all of them, they start off pleading not guilty. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, innocent until proven guilty. So 
So in any case, carry on Franks, Vancouver, Canada. I mentioned Arabella McCormick here in the States. Um, I, 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 can, I can tell you another case, Adam Snyder. He was eight years old, adopted from China. Uh, um, there was another case of two boys, uh, Orin and Orson West. Um, uh, they were three and four years old. And I believe it was a, a case of a foster care or domestic. Mm. Uh, I mentioned baby Jung-in. Yeah. was adopted in South Korea. So, And there was a baby in Hawaii and, recently, and, right? Oh, a oh. young girl. So that is actually an older case. Oh, okay. Maybe that one. I just learned about it. So Isabella Kalua uh, had, had made international headlines because her parents had reported her missing. Oh, no. And to this day, her body is still not found. Oh. But thankfully, to uh, police investigation revealed overwhelming evidence of, tor again, torture. And I, I'll connect with you after we talk about getting a sort of list together of the important cases. I can put them in the show notes. So if anybody um, is looking for links, uh, I, I would make that as easy as possible. I appreciate that. And I would I would go further to say if anyone is interested in looking further into this and uh, doing their own searches of, of cases, we are at that point of we're needing to capture these cases. We're needing to build a list. I mean, essentially a database, if you will. So anyone who's interested in, in getting involved, I would encourage, you know, help us find more cases, help us shed more light, gather more details about the existing cases. So, so I would encourage your listeners, if they're so inclined, to get involved in looking up more cases, new cases, more details of existing cases. So we can, we can really get a, a, a clearer picture. And we also have more to help raise awareness about this. Right. So, you know, Eve, at this point, I am in a way saying that we are, as a community, we are under attack. Mm -hmm. That we are actively being killed. You know, uh, while the industry is telling the world that we're being saved. So it may feel pretty extreme, but so are these cases. And these are cases are very real and they are of infants and children. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, call this a public health crisis, a state of emergency for our community. But we do need to, in a way, going back to what you said in the beginning, you know, sound the alarm. Children are being killed when they're being promised uh, that they were being saved. Right. So for listeners and myself who, who are hearing this, they're hearing the alarm. I heard a few actions that we could do, which is a little bit about research, data, collecting data, raising awareness is there anything are there any other actions that you think people that that are longing to be more active as ad advocates for the adoption community as a whole or for this issue in specific is there legislation they should be looking to or websites we should go to 
Do you have any 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 more direction to set to give us? Uh, there, there's three specific actions that people can take. I'm sure there are more. Uh, <laughs> I, I would welcome to hear more. You know, <clears throat> but three that I can think of in the moment right now. One is as we brought up, looking in internally about your own biases, your own attitudes about adoption, you know, reflect on them and in a way go through your own process of unlearning what you've been told or what you believe, you know, educate yourself so that you are aware of what is really going on behind the scenes or behind the curtain. Take interest because like I said, there are lives on the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is one thing I'm hoping everybody will do. And for those who are already doing so to do to do it more. The next thing that comes to mind is when you're feeling so inclined, you, your listeners, speaking to your listeners, when you're feeling so inclined that you've educated yourself enough that, 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 there is that feeling inside of you that says, I need to do something about this. You know, the, the idea, uh, you know, see something, say something, you know, do something. So help raise awareness. Mm-hmm. You know, talk about these cases. Put them, up, put them on your social media. Write op-ed articles. Uh, start a blog about it. You know, uh, in whatever way to help raise awareness. Certainly other things about starting a newsletter or going to your schools, going to your doctors, you know, finding different different ways to get involved to help just raise awareness. And to your last point about how do we engage our legislators? How do we engage our leadership? How do we engage our government that is supposed to be, well, I mean, is in charge of our foster care system, Right, is in charge of our children's welfare. There is the Department of Health and Human Services, right? There's also the Department of Homeland Security. There's also the Department of Education. There's also the Department of Justice uh, that you can engage, right? So in terms of that next step of, you know, how, how do I engage local government how do I raise, you know, raise awareness on that level to say, here's a case that really needs your attention, right? I mean, call them up, uh, schedule a meeting, you know, and say, hey, I have a case I really want you to know about, you know, that I think really needs your attention on this, that we need to do something about. So <laughs> raising awareness for them uh, I, I think the more that we can gather the cases, the evidence, building a database, um, you know, in a way partnering with the journalists who are investigating these cases and the reporters who are willing to help shed light on, you know, elaborate with them, you know, and reach out to them to say, okay, yeah, time to engage our leadership and our government whether it's local government or federal government, uh, but they really need to start paying attention that this is, you know, this isn't the normalized 
Oh, we know about, uh, you know, the rampant abuse in foster homes. And we're doing our best to mitigate, you know, when that, when that happens, but that it's taken to the next level. It's taken, you know, to, we're talking about torture and death, uh, you know, so I, I would say that would be at least a, a start is once you have adjusted your own attitude, your own thoughts, your own beliefs about adoption and have reconciled with them to, to say, okay, I'm ready to do something about it. How do I, you know, how do I engage? Well, let me call up, uh, you know, whatever contacts or friends or relatives or whoever to say, hey, let's get in touch with our local representatives, council people, mayor, you know, really anybody. Heck, even law enforcement, you know, call up the police and, and say, you know, how do we get something done to prevent more of these murders happening? Right. From happening. Yeah. Great. Three action items. But yeah, that's that's incredible. Three three action items that are all I don't I don't think anybody can't do them. <laughs> I'll I'll say for myself, Eve, uh, and I don't I don't know if you're comfortable with this, but uh, I'll, I'll say for myself. Uh, I am happy to be contacted mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. or I mean, not necessarily happy, but I, I'm willing to be, be mm -hmm. I'm, I'm willing to be a contact for people, uh, a point of contact, I should say, you know, to have further conversations, to talk about further activism or further actions that could be taken, um, you know, how to gather information and data and and, um, and, and so uh, I'm, I'm willing to also be a point of contact for, for people as well. Great. That's amazing. That's very generous of you. Um, yeah, my, my information is out there with the podcast. So if, if, if contacting me is a helpful step in any of this, like, please, I don't want anyone to hesitate. And then I'll make sure that, that, that within the show notes of the, of the, podcast and and everywhere you you hear or can see this that that the right information for you to reach you moses will be there i mean this is we could probably do this we could probably talk about this all day um in different well, in different ways i i hope that we will talk more about this you know possibly in future episodes or maybe on social media uh, i think that was one of the ideas was maybe mm -hmm. doing instagram live but certainly, you know, utilizing all the different platforms or modes of communication or, or ways of helping to raise awareness. So, so I'm, I'm certainly very willing to keep this conversation going, certainly as new cases come up, you know, new evidence or new updates that, that you know, come up. But like I mentioned with Arabella's case, um, you know, again, I, I appreciate NBC specifically you know, uh, updating us about that case, about her case. So uh, I, I would very much like to carry on this conversation and not just have this be a, a, a one-time or one-off, but in a way to build momentum to help others really understand and, and dig in further. I think that's the only way we could do it. You, you have to keep talking about it because otherwise the conversation becomes isolated, becomes an isolated, which is exactly what we're trying to not do, right? Is not, we're not letting, we don't want these cases or these people to be seen as anything isolated. So we have to make the solution less isolated. Um, mm -hmm. 
thank you so much for giving me so much time of your day today on the Thursday. I know it's a work day for you. Um, mm -hmm. And there's so yeah. much to talk about and think about here. Um, I feel really like sort of in awe of how much information you have and, and, um, and how much there is to think about and talk about and, and grateful for your time and your patience, your patience with me and everyone else that has so much to learn about the community and the world of adoption, the system. Oh, I'm, I'm becoming less and less patient. That <laughs> Eve. I'll, I'll tell you. Noted. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm really ready to sound the alarm and say, we're, we're in a state of emergency folks. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and we all need to open our eyes and, and our hearts and, and our minds and, and, and realize, oh my gosh, this is what's going on. This can't keep happening. Right. You know? So, so uh, in, in one of my latest posts, I, I've put it to people, you know, get there quick, you know, like, you know, get aware quick, you know, and, and, and make whatever adjustments you need for yourself quick. Cause really, truly lives are on the line. Right. And when you think about it, when you think about it, Eve, we're talking about millions of lives on the line. You know, so when, when, when you think about adoption as a multi-billion dollar industry, we're talking, you know, like you're saying, we're not talking about, you know, isolated, you know, single cases of this happening or that happening. We're talking about millions of lives that are affected. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for allowing allowing this conversation to happen but but more so eve thank you for stepping out hmm. like like really thank you for offering to do something you know e e even if it is let's have a conversation about this on your podcast for your listeners that that's doing something thank you for doing something yeah so much so much of the response that i've gotten is oh my gosh that's horrible oh my gosh that's so sad Right. <laughs> that's, that, that's it. That's where it period. Yeah. 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 Thank you for stepping up to do doing something about it today. It, I it it I did it without thinking. It felt it felt very right. It just I'm just even uh, better. It, 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 <laughs> it, this, this was your natural instinct to, to absolutely. say okay. We got to do something. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. So wonderful. Thank you. I will talk to you very soon. Yes. Yeah. We'll talk. Yeah. We'll talk again soon and, and I'll be in touch with you about all the, all the podcast details. Okay. All right. Okay. Thank you so much, Moses. Have a fantastic day. You too. Thank Thanks. you. I want to express my gratitude again to Moses for the work he's doing and everyone in the adoption community with the patience and energy to educate the world about the lesser known sides of adoption. I don't know about you, but I had no idea about how many facets, sides, elements, variables there are to talk about when we're considering looking at celebrating adoption. Before I go, I want to bring your attention to an emergency town hall meeting. It will be live and virtual. So anyone can attend if they have the internet. It is going to be Sunday, March 10th at 1 p.m. Pacific time. 
This is going to be a forum to raise voices, call to action, and show up for victims of the predatory adoption industry. Bring your concerns, your struggles, and your solutions for taking action. I'm going to have all the information about this in the show notes for this. Uh, and I will also be in my social media. So make sure you're following me on Instagram at everything's relative podcast. If you have questions, comments, concerns, or you need help connecting with Moses or other activists within the adoption community or other resources, please email me eve at everything's relative podcast.com. Or you can reach me through my website, everything's relative podcast.com. Okay. The podcast is going back on hiatus. So I will not be back next week unless there is another emergency, but I'm around. Please keep in touch. Don't forget to tell the people in your life that you love them. I'm Eve Sturgis. This is Everything's Relative Podcast. I'm signing off for now. Bye-bye. Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis is produced by Eve Sturgis and Kaylin Egan. Logo designed by Ivy McNally, and music is used with permission from Goodbye the Band. Eve is a licensed psychotherapist, but her podcast episodes are not therapy sessions. Mm-hmm.